Welcome to Safety Help with Tony Collins. Join him to learn how to improve workplace safety to be legally compliant, win more contracts, and increase profits. Hi listeners and welcome back. This podcast is actually part of a series I have produced that explains how to set up your own safety system. The audio is taken from a video training course which is available for free from my website www.safetyhub.co.nz but you know I know some people like the podcast format which is probably you know why you're listening now but if you do prefer video or even want to buy the product that goes with the course it's all on the website and the details are there but let's get into this particular chapter right away contractor management why do I need to look after or manage contractors the object of the Health and Safety and Employment Act is the prevention of harm to people as a result of work or workplace activities. And to do that, there are a number of responsibilities placed on employers or, and or managers with regard to health and safety management. And you know this because we've been working through the previous chapters to do exactly that, design a system to look after your employees. However, many companies now engage workers on a contract basis or award contracts to other companies and try to delegate all health and safety responsibility to the head contractor. In turn, the head contractor may also engage subcontractors and delegate health and safety, or in turn employ sub-subcontractors until in the end you could have a tangle web of everybody meant to be doing health and safety but no one being ultimately responsible. This approach or attempt to contract out of your health and safety obligations or the easy option is in fact not the easy option and has been guarded against in the Health and Safety and Employment Act, specifically in Section 18. Section 18 of the Act creates a duty requiring principles of a contract to take all practical steps to ensure contractors, subcontractors and their employees are not harmed while undertaking work under the contract. We've already defined under the hazard control chapter about you know what all steps practical means, but there are some additional practical steps that we'll talk about later. Broadly though, a principle is any person who engages another other than as an employee to do any work for gain or reward. The exception is engaging someone to do work on your own home. As an example, if you hire a plumber to fix a blocked drain in your home, you are not liable under that act for the safety and health of the plumber while the work has been carried out. If, on the other hand, you contract with a builder to do a major alteration to your home and they subcontract a plumber, the builder is considered a principal in terms of Section 18. A contractor can also be considered a principal with respect to subcontractors, which is what the last sentence refers to. Now, Section 2, Bracket 2 of the Act basically means several parties can be the principal at any one time and all key people have a duty to provide health and safety needs for their own areas of operation. Here is a basic example which you may be able to relate to. If you are the company or business sitting at the top of the tree as a principal, you have obligations under Section 18 to everybody completing the work as indicated by the green arrows. If you are the contractor with employees, you obviously have your health and safety responsibilities 
to them, as depicted by the red arrow, and also Section 18 responsibilities to the subcontractor, which means the contractor is acting as the principal as well with respect to their subcontractor. Larger projects can become even more complicated as depicted in this slide. What does all that mean? Well, let me summarise and keep it simple. Some companies mistakenly believe they can contract out of their health and safety obligations. I've shown you the law and briefly taking you through some definitions to you know, show you that is not the case. It does not matter, and this is a key message, it does not matter where you sit in the employment tree. If people are doing work for you, you have health and safety obligations to them as an employer and or a principal. So the courts have recognised that while a principal can only discharge its obligations through employees or agents, a failure by an employer or an agent may then be attributed to the principal. Being let down by an employer or agent will be no defence. What do I need to do then? Well, the first thing you need to do is determine if you are a principal. This may be obvious if you engage a company to do the work for you, but may not be so clear if you hire an individual. Are they an employee or a self-employed person? At the time, this may not be important. Basically, you know, you want someone to do the work and they just want to get paid. But in the event of a dispute or an an investigation after an accident, the courts will apply a number of tests to determine your contract status and level of responsibility. I've included these tests and you will need to pause the video as I quickly move through them. So if you've determined you're a principal then, I mentioned earlier you need to take additional or practical steps. Now the process I will take you through is the best practice and you will need to determine how much detail you need to go through. This will depend on the size of the contract and complexity of the job. For example, there is a huge difference in risk and obligations with engaging a contractor to service a photocopier as opposed to engaging a contractor to build a new factory for you. So here are the basic steps that we're going to work through. First one is scope the work, where we look at what work needs to be contracted out and consider the broad health and safety implications. Then we want to pre-qualify, where we're going to assess the capability of potential contractors. In the third step, you need to provide health and safety information to the pre-qualified contractors so the contractor can determine if they can safely carry out the work before they tender for the contract. Number four, which includes developing a health and safety plan appropriate to the complexity of the, the project and the business. Number five, you, you as a principal now need to check the contractors are performing to the agreed standard. And finally, a review so that you can both learn from the contract and previous work. Step one then, you need to scope the work. The best place to consider health and safety is at the design and planning stage. So what broad health and safety issues are you expecting a contractor to deal with while they're working on this project? You may even find it beneficial to do a hazard identification exercise on the type of work or the area they're going to be working in. When we're pre-qualifying the contractor, sometimes you don't need to do the step in all cases, but working through the step can save you a lot of work down track 
especially with large projects. By having the contractors provide some basic information, you will know if they broadly will be able to carry out the work before looking at their tenders in any more detail. I've provided a pre-tender questionnaire template that you can use. The level of detail required though should be tailored for the work and size of the project and the hazards and risks involved, which means you may not need to have a contractor fill in every section. At the end of the day, you want some proof that you are not going to be engaging some cowboys that will ultimately affect you as a principal. Such a questionnaire may also help you develop a shortlist for contract work that does not need to go through a tender process. In step three, principals are required to give and receive information on hazards at the tendering stage, whether or not pre-qualification is used. Where it's not being used, the principal will still need to gather information that allows assessment of the general competence of the contractor to manage health and safety. You need proof that you've somehow assessed a contractor. A decision to accept a tender cannot be based on price if it is at the expense of adequate provision for health and safety. So now is the time to detail the particular work and what hazards are identified as part of that work. Such documentation is normally included with the information documents about the project so that potential tenderers can detail their response to how they will manage health and safety and particular hazards. Now, as I've mentioned a few times, how detailed this information does depend upon the project, and it can be issued as a separate document, part of a package, or as documented discussion points for smaller jobs. The key here is that, as a principal, you're designing health and safety into the job, and setting a benchmark and expectations from your contractors. So I've provided another template called Information for Tenderer as a guide for the type of information you may need to provide to the potential contractors. Ultimately, what you're aiming to achieve is selection of a contractor. As a principal now, you need to assess the tenders and the following points will need to be taken into account. Step four, awarding the contract. Information sharing between the principal and the contractor should begin immediately. They should, the health and safety requirements should be documented and become part of a written contract wherever practical. The contractor may now need to be inducted into your workplace. Now remember earlier we had you um, draft up an induct, employee induction template um, in the information training and supervision chapter. Now what you can do is take that same template and apply it to the contractors. You may need to remove some items, you may to, need to include specific hazard management plans as a result of the contractor process you've gone through. Um, and this is also the opportunity to get the contractors to brief you on what hazards they are bringing into the workplace what equipment they're bringing in, what processes that they're bringing in, so that you can then tell your employees what they can and can't do. So the following information should be shared between you as the principal and the contractor. Who are the points of contact between the principal and contractor? What sort of meetings? How often are they going to be held? Procedures for reporting between the two parties? Responsibilities where a worker is notified to the Department of Labor? 
Um, in some cases, you must report certain types of work at least 24 hours before it begins. And check here to see if your work is included in this. Now, method for reporting accidents and incidents to the principal and involvement in employee participation. Can you share a scheme which is beneficial to both parties? Now, if you're employing a contractor who has their health and safety in order, no doubt they have their own systems, their own processes in place already. So this is what you need to do as a principal. Um, discuss, are you going to let them continue where they is? Do you want them to flag certain things to you? Are you going to overlay your system on theirs? This needs to be worked through. There is a requirement for principals to monitor contractors and subcontractors' performance. This does not mean that you have to constantly check for hazards or follow the subcontractors or contractors around and, and monitor what they're doing. Um, but you need a way to at least monitor workplace conditions and practices and bring any unsafe practices or conditions to the contractor's attention, ensure they're being dealt with. Where subcontractors engaged by a contractor, the practical steps available to the principal will usually decrease the further the principal is removed from the subcontractor's engagement. What, is, what does that mean? Well, if, if you're a small principal in a head office in one city and you have contractors and subcontractors on a different site doing work for you, um, your practical steps of monitoring are uh, not as practical if, if you're actually co-located on site. What I am saying here is that there's no black, or, black and white, this is what you should do to monitor a contractor. But you need to assure yourself that the contractors are doing what they've said they're going to do. They need to work to the plan that you've agreed and adhere to your standards. And you need to be assured and be able to prove if it gets to that point in court that your system of monitoring was in fact working. The following points will help you monitor the contract. So ensure all parties are aware of their roles and responsibilities. Regular meetings. Regular inspections as appropriate. Raising issues that require attention by the contractor for any unsafe work practice practices observed investigating and responding to accidents, and that the principal and the contractor are both meeting their obligations to report serious harm to the Department of Labor. Finally, the post-contract review. Now, the progress of the contract will be reviewed as part of the ongoing supervision. However, when the work is complete, a post-contract review should occur. And what it needs to consider is the effectiveness of the original choice of contractor. How, how good was your process in selecting the contractor? How good was the contractor in adhering to the agreement? Which is how well the contractor fulfilled the health and safety plan and managed health and safety while completing the contract. Any improvements that could be made to equipment, work methods, etc. And whether the contractor is suitable for further contracts. Okay, wrapping up the chapter. You know, along with hazard management, I think uh, contractor management is probably one of the most important and neglected areas in health and safety. Um, and I hope I've impressed upon you that you can't actually contract out of your health and safety obligations. 
And while I've been talking to you as a principal, I just want to flick it around for a minute. Um, as a, a contractor, if your business has contracted and tended for work, um, you will now understand where that principal, where that company is coming from when they ask you to fill in these sort of documents and ask you about your health and safety process. So now that you understand the steps that we've gone through, um, what you can do is turn this into a competitive advantage for your business when tendering for work. So you can use the same process to go through your contracting process, get some more work. Um, flicking back to you as a principal now, I just want to re-emphasize while you do have a process, you do have some templates that you really need to tailor them to the type of work and the complexity of the business. We're not trying to create more work than you need to, but then you have to assure yourself that you're covering off on what you need to. So to get the process started, what I recommend you do right now is go and have a look at your existing uh, contractors and the contract you have with them, and then also go and have a look at contractors and tenders that you've previously submitted and see how you can improve things right now, and that'll help you going forward when you are engaging new contractors. This has been another episode on Workplace Safety by Tony Collins. For more tips, visit safetyhub.co.nz and join the free newsletter.